You are Locked On Gators, your daily podcast on the Florida Gators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to another episode of Locked On Gators, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of Locked On Gators is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. For those of you who don't already know, I am your host, Brandon Olson. You can find me on Twitter at WNS underscore Brandon. I am also the founder of whole9sports.com where you can find all of my written work. On today's episode, as promised, we are going to talk about who Stone Forsyth is as a prospect, we'll take a look at some of the incoming Gators football recruits, and this week and next week, we'll celebrate Throwback Thursday by looking at some Gators draft picks from the past decade or so. This week, we'll kick it off, of course, by talking about Tim Tebow and Trey Burton. Before we get started, though, just a quick reminder to follow Locked On Gators wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode. First off, we're talking Stone Forsyth. For those of you who don't know, Stone Forsyth's dad is Ray Forsyth, who played offensive line for the Central Florida Golden Knights before short stints with the Cincinnati Bengals, NFL Europe, and the Orlando Predators. Stone has 40 appearances in his college career, including 28 starts. He played at both guard and tackle during his college career, and then prior to that in high school, he played center before he had a growth spurt and then moved out to tackle. He's had 25 straight starts at tackle, mostly playing left tackle, but he also shifted to right tackle here and there. At his pro day, Stone Forsyth really wowed us because he wasn't someone that was really expected to test as good as he did, but he finished with a relative athletic score of 8.81. Like I mentioned last week, relative athletic score is comparing your score on a grade of 1 to 10, your athletic testing compared to players at your own position from previous years from, I believe, 1987 to current day. He had 25 reps on the bench press, a 747 three-cone, and a 5.1440-yard dash at six foot eight and 307 pounds. Stone showed off an athleticism that we don't typically see from players his size and that we didn't really get to see a ton from him on film at Florida. And speaking about his film, Stone was a pretty fun study, (laughs) or about as fun as a study of an offensive lineman can be. Uh, For me at least, it is no secret, they are probably my least favorite position to watch. Uh, So that's just me though. I know there are people who that's their favorite stuff to watch. I'm just more of a DB's receivers kind of guy. But Stone's best game of the season easily was against Georgia's Aziz Ojolari, 
who's currently looking like he'll be a day two pick in the NFL draft, but there are people who, honestly, I've seen people claim as high as 10th to the Dallas Cowboys. So he's a very highly touted prospect. It was great that Stone had his best game against the season. Typically stonewalled him in most cases. The power that Stone has is very evident, both in the passing game and the run game. He's one of the best pass-protecting tackles in the entire draft class this year. He's got arms that are almost three feet long, and he absolutely knows how to use his length to his advantage. In the running game, he did seem to struggle in a few areas. Given his height, it's difficult for him to get his pad level low enough to be a truly dominant, consistent force against defenders who can dip. As we all know, when it comes to football, a very common phrase is low man wins. And in this case, Stone typically can't get low as often as he'd like to, or as often as we would like to see him. As far as being used as a pulling blocker, that just does not fit Stone's style, and despite his testing, which was better than we expected, he's at his best when he's working downhill as opposed to working laterally. Arguably the biggest area of concern for me regarding Stone is his tendency to get flags thrown. He, uh, he struggles a little bit there. He even had a two-game stretch earlier this year where he had four penalties in those two games, and that's something that at the next level that has to get cleared up because that's going to make him just shoot his own team in the foot consistently. And calls tend to be more strict in the NFL than in college. At his pro day media session, Stone told us that he put the majority of his training focus on his hand quickness, placement, and usage. On film, Stone could absolutely pack a punch when he got his hands on defenders, but one of his biggest issues was that he would just miss or not get a clean shot on defenders, thus taking away the power. And when I evaluate players, if you're not familiar with my work, as opposed to just giving them a straight-up pro comparison, because I think that that is really good for nobody, I like to list a ceiling and a floor. So my name's for Stone Forsyth, which I'm now saying for the first time publicly. As a floor, I put Eric Winston as his floor. Eric Winston had a 12-year career, primarily as an average to below average starter. Traveled through Houston, Kansas City. He was also the NFLPA president for a short time. At his absolute best, or his ceiling in this case, I could see Stone developing into an Orlando Brown Jr. type. Not, not Orlando Brown, but Orlando Brown Jr. type. A powerful blocker who excels in pass protection and is best fit for a power run scheme. Because scheme-wise, Stone would benefit from being in an offense that is more of a power run team than zone. And the team would know that when they pass the ball, they can trust Stone to do his part. We'll get more in-depth on team fits a little closer to the draft, but teams like the Steelers, Buccaneers, Bills, and Ravens would be pretty ideal fits right now. I'll get more into detail on why and other teams at a later date. I do plan on having an episode for pretty much every Gators draft prospect. 
And we do know that at his pro day, or as of the time of his pro day, Stone had not met with the Steelers, and he has met with the Buccaneers. Bills and Ravens were not brought up, so I do not know the answer to those questions. At the pro day, Florida head coach Dan Mullen said that if he had to name just one Gator that's going to surprise the NFL and NFL fans with his performance compared to his draft position, it would be Stone Forsyth. Forsyth could help an offensive line upgrade their pass protection immediately for a team with a weaker offensive line, or he can sit back, develop, and help a team in the future if they have a stronger offensive line already with maybe an aging tackle or a tackle that's going to hit free agency soon. Speaking of upgrades, visit rockauto.com for all of your car part needs. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. I don't even have a car, but I wanted to get familiar with the website and I was shocked at how smooth the experience was. Whether it's brake pads, taillights, or you just want to add hydraulics to your car. Why not? Stimmy money go crazy. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. Whether it's your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Make sure to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so that they know exactly who sent you get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the locked on today podcast host peter bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts follow the locked on today podcast on the odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts Of course, for the second segment today, we're going to do a little bit of a throwback Thursday where we'll take a look at the NFL careers and briefly at the college careers of two Gator greats, Tim Tebow and Trey Burton. We'll start off with, of course, the number one Gator, in my opinion, Tim Tebow. Everyone knows Tim Tebow's story. He's arguably the greatest college football player of all time. In my opinion, he is. In his college career, he had 9,285 passing yards with 88 passing touchdowns and 16 interceptions. He added 2,947 yards on the ground and 57 rushing touchdowns. He was the Heisman winner in 2007, and he was the first sophomore to win the award. He was a finalist in both 2008 and and 2009. Also, as we know, he's a two-time national champion, 2006 and 2008. Following his time at Florida, Tim was drafted in the first round, 25th overall in the 2010 NFL Draft by the Denver Broncos, who were led by Josh McDaniels, who prior to the Broncos job was the Patriots offensive coordinator and after the Broncos job, is now the Patriots offensive coordinator again. During his rookie year, Tim would start three games and finish with just 654 yards, five touchdowns, and three interceptions 
while also having 227 yards and six touchdowns on the ground. His second year would prove to be his most successful, as Tim Tebow and Tebowing just completely took over the NFL. Tebow would lead the Broncos to the playoffs with major help from running back Willis McGahee and a stout defense. In that second year, Tebow would finish with 1,729 passing yards, 12 touchdowns, and just three interceptions to go with his 660 rushing yards and six touchdowns. The Broncos would play the Steelers in the wildcard round, where the game ended when Tebow threw an 80-yard touchdown to Demarius Thomas in overtime to put the nail in the coffin, and the Broncos would then unfortunately get manhandled by the Patriots. Is a, I think that's a fair word to use in that situation. Following the playoff loss, the Broncos added Peyton Manning, and Tebow wound up on the Jets, where he was the backup quarterback and personal protector. I will always hold my gripe against John Elway and the Broncos because I specifically remember right before, my birthday's in December, playoffs January, right before the playoffs, I got a Tim Tebow jersey for my birthday. And John Elway, oh, the liar that he is, said, Tim's going to be our starting quarterback. I, I And I understand adding ar- arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. I get that. But I will always hold it against him. Because he said that and then didn't do it at all. And I'm still upset about it. I don't care. I don't care how, uh, how petty that is. His football career would end. Sorry about that. After preseason stints with the Patriots and Eagles, where he would then go to play baseball for the New York Mets before he retired just last month. Another player that came to Florida as a quarterback that struggled to actually throw the ball consistently was Trey Burton. Due to position changes from quarterback to running back to wide receiver to tight end, Trey Burton was never a very productive college player. He would finish his career going 11 for 17 passing with 103 yards, zero touchdowns, and a pick. He'd have 153 carries with 720 rushing yards and 16 rushing touchdowns, 11 of which came in his freshman year, where he was used pretty similarly to how Tim Tebow was used in his freshman year. And Trey would have 107 receptions in his college career for 976 yards and four receiving touchdowns. During the draft process, Trey Burton lit up all of the athletic drills, but being a positionless player before that versatility was truly appreciated, made him difficult to value, and he went undrafted in the 2014 NFL Draft. Burton would get signed by the Eagles, and he played a bit of a hybrid running back wide receiver tight end role early on. After his first two years, he really hit his stride as an H-back tight end style player when Doug Peterson got hired, and he became a legitimate contributor to the offense. Following the expiration of his contract in Philly, Trey Burton would go to Chicago for two years, where he had a career-high 54 catches for 569 yards and six touchdowns in his first year as a Bear, before injuries really got to him in his second year, and he missed... Pretty much half the year because of it. 
and he was then let go. And after Chicago, Trey spent this past year with the Indianapolis Colts. Trey wouldn't just be a tight end, though, as he would step in as the Wildcat quarterback, and he even ran for two touchdowns this year after taking the direct snap on the goal line while also posting the third most receiving yards of his career. Trey was one of the original gadget players, which we saw a little bit even early on. I will give him the credit that he was a hybrid running back, wide receiver, tight end role early on, so that was great. But he was one of the original gadget players that if someone with his skill set was in the NFL draft right now, he would almost definitely be valued and drafted higher strictly or well drafted at all based strictly off his versatility in an increasingly positionless offensive league he'd be allowed to use all over the field he'd be everywhere you know it and honestly he would have been a fun prospect to watch going back to his time in philadelphia trey burton was a major part of one of the most memorable plays in super bowl history Trey would show off his former quarterback skills by throwing a touchdown to then-Eagles quarterback Nick Foles on a play that will forever be known as the Philly Special. Speaking of the Philly Special, that Super Bowl was actually my first time using BetOnline, which, kind of crazy timing to be like, hey, you know what, most important game of the year and the last game with the sport that I know the most about. Now I'm going to start betting. But I made a pretty solid profit off of a prop bet where I had Torrey Smith having more receptions than Brandon Cooks. And if you know, Brandon Cooks got concussed on his first catch. Was it smart? No. But did it work? You bet it did. Bet Online even covers award shows, TV shows, and reality TV with real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online or your online sportsbook experts. Use promo code LOCKED ON to get that 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. The NFL Draft is just weeks away. It's time to start following our Locked On NFL Draft duo. The Draft Dudes podcast watches every prospect so that you don't have to. And the Lockdown NFL Draft Podcast is your daily news and mock draft podcast. Follow the Lockdown NFL Draft Podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. Before I really get into this third segment, I just want to apologize again that there was no host here to cover National Signing Day for you guys. I will get through the entire recruiting class, but I cannot do it all given time constraints for this episode. I will get through the top five or so recruits. And then we'll get back to the rest at a later date. First up, we'll take a look at the top name in the recruiting class for the Gators in Jason Marshall. Marshall was the number one high school cornerback in the nation according to ESPN, and he was the number two five-star corner according to 24-7. With great size at 6'2", 180 pounds, Marshall comes out of a star-studded Miami-Dade area where he faced off against receivers that a lot of them are going to be power five receivers and soon to be NFL, maybe. Jason Marshall's an athletic, physical corner that shouldn't have much of a problem finding playing time early on for the Gators on the boundary. 
Marshall chose Florida over LSU, Alabama, Florida State, Ohio State, and many more. He's a highly sought-after corner, and I'm excited to have him along here. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm a big corners wide receivers guy, so I'm stoked for this. Next up is quarterback Carlos Del Rio Wilson a four-star QB that was ranked as the number 12 quarterback in the nation by both 24-7 and ESPN. Based on what I've seen from the limited tape that I could watch, Del Rio Wilson is much more of a project than anything else right now, but he's certainly got a ton of potential. And, I mean, with Dan Mullen, I am not going to put anything past him and being able to turn this coal into a diamond. Even with inconsistent mechanics, because he sometimes just takes a little bit too long, he's got a motion that's not super clean, Uh, he's shown solid arm strength, and his footwork's kind of choppy, so if he can clean all that up, we could see him improve a ton there. With above average athleticism, he should be a good scheme fit to operate this Dan Mullen offense. The Gators also brought in a pair of four-star safeties in Corey Collier out of Miami, and Donovan McMillan from Pittsburgh. Again, if you know anything about me and my evaluating style, safety's also big crush for me, so love it. The first thing to note when I was watching Corey Collier, again, the limited tape that I could watch, is that he has a frame where it looks like he can add on muscle with no problem, and he should benefit a ton from being able to work with a college strength and conditioning staff as opposed to high school. He looks pretty solid in coverage at this point, but once he adds mass, I wouldn't be surprised to see him play a little bit more of a box safety role. But again, he does look like he can play the deep safety role right now, and he looks like he could add mass without really impacting his athleticism at all. He's got a good attacking mindset when the ball is in the air, and he's someone that I'm personally excited for. I am very excited. He's, again, out of this Miami-Dade area, so he's used to playing as high-caliber athletes, high-quality football players, and he's got a ton of potential. Looking at the other safety that we brought in in Donovan McMillan out of Pittsburgh, he also looks like he could stand to add a little bit of mass but at 6'2", 193, he could possibly end up converting to linebacker if he can really pack on pounds and wind up around that 220 range. Luckily, McMillan has shown that he's no problem getting physical with an aggressive playstyle and attacking mindset. This dude loves coming downhill. We could realistically see him play that tweener linebacker safety role that's becoming much more prevalent in today's college and NFL games. He's been able to make some plays on the ball, but he thrives in more of a C-man, hit-man kind of role. He's not too much of a uh, of a ball-hawking safety at this point. Who knows? He adds more mass. He could get more explosive if it's in his legs. He looks like he could add some pounds on, though, and he's another guy that I think will benefit greatly from working with a college strength and conditioning staff. The last player that I'm going to look at is one of my favorite watches from this class. Tight end, three-star tight end out of Jacksonville, Nick Elksness. 
fun name, number one, so that's always great. But Elksness is the number 15 ranked tight end in the nation right now. He had originally committed to play for Penn State, but then on March 1st, 2020, so over a year ago, he decommitted from Penn State. And then exactly a week later on March 8th, he committed to play for the Florida Gators. Based on what I've seen from him so far, which I did get to watch more tape on him than anyone else in this class, so I was very excited for it because offensively, I do love watching tight ends play. So based on what I've seen, he doesn't look like a freak athlete like we've gotten spoiled with Kyle Pitts, but he is capable of working over the middle of the field, and he already has a size to be a red zone killer at six foot five. So he's got it all. He's just not the same type of tight end as Kyle Pitts, which is totally fine. Behind Gamble and Zipperer, there's a need for a third tight end on this roster that could step in and contribute. And in case there's an injury to Gamble or Zipperer, I do believe that Nick Elksness could step in early and play significant snaps, and I do think that he will be used frequently in the red zone. Blocking isn't a strength of Elksness's by any stretch of the word, but He's shown the willingness to involve himself. He did have a couple of nice plays where he just chipped and double teamed, and he really made an impact on those. But when he was blocking, he was blocking against smaller DNs. And I would expect that the NFL or that the college size would really throw him off there. He's another guy. He really looks like he could benefit from using a strength and conditioning staff. Because like I mentioned, he's not a freak athlete. So he will have to bulk up to really assert himself in the blocking game. That does it for this episode of Locked On Gators, though. I'll be doing a seven-round mock draft tomorrow, just covering where I think Florida Gators should go, could go. And I'll even include some other places I was thinking of putting them in. Once again, I am Brandon Olson. You can find me on Twitter at WNS underscore Brandon. You can find all of my written work at Whole9Sports.com. That's W-H-O-L-E-N-I-N-E sports.com. Don't forget to follow Locked On Gators so that you never miss an episode. Also, be sure to check out Locked On Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Listen to Kyle Krabs as he covers all things Miami Dolphins. And he even had a whole episode where he spoke about the possibility of drafting Kyle Pitts with the sixth overall pick.